the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everybody. Gold, nasty day. Glad you're here. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's what Courtney just read in the scripture today. That's what Peter and Andrew did when they were fishing. Jesus told them to follow him, so they just dropped everything just like that, and they followed him. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. That's what James and John did when Jesus called them. Immediately, immediately, immediately. There's that word that's uh, in that scripture there, uh, all, all, all through the scripture. Immediately. Now, just think about that for a second. When do you actually drop everything and, and do something immediately? Not like, okay, I'll get that to later, but immediately. I mean, not very often. Most of life is planned and it's routine. Even when you do something spot, you know, spontaneous that's not usually immediate, you just think, okay, well, I'm going to do this, and then, yeah, I'll do that. But to drop everything and do something immediately um, usually means there's some kind of crisis. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a minor one. Maybe it's, maybe it's a major one. I mean, say the school nurse calls and says your son has a high fever, so um, you call your spouse and say, well, you go pick the child up, and they don't, so you go do it. And thank God we're not up there anymore, although Christy always picked him up. And... Um, so, or, you know, you're having a heart attack, this is, uh, and, and you immediately call 911. There's no question about that. Or, you know, um, you get a call, your, 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 your mother is in the hospital, aging mother, and you get that call from, from the nurse saying it's time to gather everybody and, and to come to the hospital. Now is the time. And, and everything is dropped, and you just go do it because it, it's life and death. Now, sometimes, you know, it's a, it's, there's no crisis, but... Sometimes, you know, you, you know a thing immediately, don't you? Like if you've ever been in a house hunting uh, process and you walk into a house and you're like, ah, yes, immediately. You think this is the house that, that I want, that's just for me. Or, I'm, you know, when people are church shopping, I'm happy to say many of you have told me you walk through those red doors of Christ Church and say, yes, I feel home. Immediately there's something about this place that makes me feel right at home. Um, immediately. Maybe you know somebody that speaks with immediacy. Um, our friend Paula does this. We love Paula. She's married to our friend Craig, and we love Craig. But when Paula speaks to Craig, it says, as if everything is a five-alarm fire. <laughs> Craig, take out the trash! Craig, you've got to do something about finding our son a girlfriend. Craig, it's time for dinner. You know, it's like everything is, maybe you know somebody like this or you are somebody like this, um, but, um, but everything has, a, has an urgency about it immediately. What else do you know immediately? I suppose there's such a thing as love at first sight. There is, actually. I mean, there's people have told me about that. I've married people that um, tell me, you know, this is, this is how their relationship began. Uh, you know a thing immediately. In fact, um, true story, when we were, Christy and I were um, in college, we lived on 15th Street in houses, we didn't know each other, um, but we were in houses near each other, and um, one day she looked out the window of her, of her house, and she saw me walking by, and she turned to her roommate, Leanne, and said, Leanne, that's the guy I'm going to marry. <laughs> she did. And then... Um, she met me. 
And she said, true story, Leanne, remember, you know, when I told you that scratch that he's way too immature? And still am, but, um, you know, better for worse, richer for poor, 38 years later, here we are. Immediately, sometimes you know a thing. Um, so, um, the scripture says, immediately, they dropped everything and they followed him. I want to ask you in the short sermon that I hope connects with your heart, what made Andrew and Peter and James and John drop everything and just leave and follow Jesus? Now think about it, what there, it's, there was real cost. There was financial cost and there was relational cost. Like we're getting to the heart of, um, of what people hold, the sacred cows of our, our inner selves. Um, money and family. So, so they were fishing, okay? And they weren't on like a nice trout fishing trip to Montana. <laughs> they were making money. I mean, they were, this is what they did to pay the mortgage. This is what they did to, to put bread on the table, um, these four guys. And so I like to imagine the scene with even greater, um, immediacy that they were really in the middle of a huge catch like a big haul and they were like thinking oh dollar signs man this is incredible and they're hauling up you know i know that um, if i'm if there's a if i'm in a stream trout stream and there's a hatch and there's trout rising not even a five alarm fire will make me leave that stream and um this is so they're they're in the middle of this big haul and they hear follow me look over and like, what? What is happening? So um, it costs something. It costs money. They were leaving a ton of money on the table to drop everything and follow Jesus. So money. The second thing is the relational cost. Have you ever thought about the, this? The guy I wonder about all the time in this passage is poor old Zebedee, the dad. It's like, he's like left there in the boat by himself. Bye, dad. We're going. Not only did he have to like finish up the work, and that kind of fishing was really hard. It took at least two strong men, um, and it was laborious and difficult to do what they were doing. They just got out of the boat and left. I don't know if they swam, what they did. They got out, but it was so immediate. And not only that, but I wonder if Zebedee's thinking like, my legacy is gone. Like who's gonna take the family business? These boys have just left me. So you've got Jesus piercing into the things that we hold sacred, money and family, but immediately they follow him. So why? I'm going to offer three things which are all related to the silly illustrations I use. So I'm kind of proud of myself about that. So um, one, clearly Jesus spoke like Paula with immediacy. There's something authoritative about his voice that made them, it wasn't even a decision like, yes, I'm doing this. It might have even been, Peter, follow me. James, follow me. Um, where you, you don't even think about it, you just go. Second thing that I believe is that they experienced something like love at first sight. When they saw Jesus, their hearts strangely warmed in the 
language of, uh, of, of Charles or, and or John Wesley, one of those two. And they, there was something about him that was so attractive. He offered something that they'd never seen before that, again, they didn't have a choice. They thought, I need that. What he's got, I want. And so they dropped what they were doing, and they left. And then third, somehow they knew this was a life and death moment. Somehow they knew that whatever was going on was so important, so crucial, so at the very heart and nub of what it means to be a human being that they're, yes, I am following this man right here. Um, and I, I believe that's true, not just for them, but for you and me still. Christianity still has, has got the same power today. They were called to, quote, as this text says later, good, spread the good news of the kingdom. Now they were going to cast upon the waters of human life this good news to people. And that news is needed now more than ever. Um, what's an example? Let me give you one. Uh, there's, there's, you may probably have heard enough about Prince Harry and his, his memoir, Spare, but I'm gonna, I, I did read this Wall Street Journal article, which really moved me. So um, you're going to hear a little bit more about him. It, it, this, the author of the editorial said that his, I haven't read the book, but that it's a, it was really a spiritual autobiography of Harry. Um, that's what it really was in many ways. And from where I sit, a kind of um, one filled with pathos, and um, longing and hurt. Um, Harry, um, like so many others of his generation, says he's spiritual and, and not religious, and probably for some good reason. Uh, the, the author of the article says, um, Christianity leaves him cold. This is true for a lot of people. Maybe it's been for you at some point. But he pursues enlightenment with a zeal that would have warmed the heart of a Puritan divine. He travels this path alone, guided by drugs, spirit animals sent by his late mother, Diana, and daily yoga and meditation. And I, there's no derision in this for me. It's real compassion for, for him, and I, I get why people um, do this. By the way, I'm all for yoga and meditation. And parenthetically, there's some pretty interesting research about guided psychedelic with Dr. Um, Help about um, dealing with deep depression, which I think is very interesting. Um, spirit animals, I mean, I don't know, what do you think? So I, uh, I do remember another true story. Chris and I were having, it was first year of seminary and we were having a dinner party at, at seminary, Virginia Theological Seminary. We had these other seminarians we invited and um, they're all like, okay, we're all gonna learn to preach the gospel together in this one seminarian said, okay, so what is everybody's spirit animal? And we're like, what? Um, and so the more I thought about it, I think probably mine's a red-winged blackbird. Uh, it doesn't answer my prayers, um, but um, anyway. Okay, let's move on. Um, but see, the most uh, 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 um, the, the, filled with bathos, I don't know what that word means, or pathos, the most deeply moving scene that I found in this editorial is the scene of Meghan Markle, you know, the, the famous wife of Harry, lying prostrate over Diana's grave, praying to Diana for, for clarity and guidance. And you just think, oh, oh, 
This message is needed more than ever. And again, if you've been left cold by Christianity, I've got to believe that it's because you have never come face to face with the genuine article. You've not known yet, 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 the beautiful, compelling message which is inextricably bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. He himself is the message that each one of us needs each hour of every day, over and over and over again of every day, of every week, of every year of our lives, cradle to grave. And this search that so many are on, Jesus ends by saying, I've searched you out. Just lay down your search. You've been found by me. And his voice, you see, this is what I want to say to you. And it's hard because we all look nice and we're all presenting ourselves on church. But his voice, the, the, the psalmist says, it's deep calling to deep. So what his voice does is his voice cuts below the surface and reaches the person you have hidden inside the person you present to the world. You know that person. That person is filled with shame, probably. So his voice speaks there to the person hidden inside the person. And maybe even the person hidden, not just from the world, but from yourself. In fact, the good news of the kingdom, I believe, is a message of life and death. And what it is, is the message of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for that person hidden inside the person in exchange for your life of freedom. It is he who knew no sin, Jesus' sinless life, bearing on the cross in his body all of your sin, the obvious sin, the hidden sin, as we say in the prayers, known and unknown. To say, listen, you are absolved of everything. And when you hear that call, the person hidden inside the person, you think, oh, I'm home. Now I'm home. Christ's message about the cross will always endure. Pardon me for using an illustration that I used at Sam's ordination sermon two weeks ago in Richmond, but it's worth hearing again and not just again, but again and again and again and again. It's the motto of the Cartesian monks, whose order was founded a thousand years ago. It's the motto for the ages right now, the motto for Peter and James, John and Andrew's time and ours as well. The Latin is stat crux dom volvator orbis, and it means the cross is steady while the world turns. The cross is steady while the world turns. The cross is steady. You're home. I, for one, will drop everything to hear that message of the cross because I cannot live without it. And I certainly can't die without it. And neither can you. For everything else pales in comparison.
Amen.